1: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech live speaker series. In this live event, we're going to talk to our host based in Asia-Pacific, Chia based in Singapore, Angela based in Singapore as well, Clementina based in Medellin, Colombia, and David, based in New York, United States, and we're going to talk to them about the fintech scene in uh, the respective regions. And uh, we have live audience with us, so happy to take your questions and uh, see what's cooking in LATAM, in the US, uh, Asia Pacific, and uh, whether that's from the perspective of founders or or influencers or investors. I'd like to introduce Chia because Chia actually studied in England. He got into Harvard, but he got an offer to join a VC in Singapore. So he's now uh, working in Singapore. So, And I wanted to find out from him what attracted you to VC investing and especially what's exciting for you in fintech in your part of the world.
0: Hi, folks. um, Good to be here. Thanks. Thanks uh, really so much for having me. Yeah. So so first question, I think, was around um, what attracted me to, to venture capital Before I was in venture capital, I was operating with rocket internet in in places like Pakistan and Sri Lanka. I was building e-commerce companies there and I was on the ups and logistics side. So learned a lot about um, kind of operations, management, logistics, supply chains, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, And uh, I was the only person I think in in my friend circle that that thought e-commerce logistics was interesting. Um, and so I got to a point where I realized I, I wanted to be able to learn a little bit more about other industries and other topics and other business models. And and besides kind of really going deep into one specific niche. And so understood about and, and read up more about venture capital, really, really liked the ability to learn about different business models really quickly and dive deep. Into all of them um, at once, and really like the breadth of of thinking, and so um, made my way into into Saison Capital um, as a as a principal uh, not too long ago. And so that's a little bit of the journey there. Um, second part, I think, was about fintech in Southeast Asia. Yeah, I'm really excited about fintech in Southeast Asia. I think fintech is one of those areas where, because of a high degree of of regulation and innovation, uh, the fintech scene in every country is 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 very different, and and not quite the same. So, you know, the fintech scene in the U.S. is very different from the fintech scene in in, for example, um, India or China or, or, or Europe, and I think Southeast Asia is also um, very very much the same. And so, it's not, for example, like e-commerce, where the amount of innovation is you know fairly fairly standard across um, all geographies. Um, but I think one of the interesting things about FinTech is in Southeast Asia is you know, the different geographies. We've got very developed markets like Singapore sitting beside um, you know, developing markets like Philippines and Indonesia. And so you see a lot of very interesting interactions in terms of different roadmaps that are involved, the different financial players that are present in different markets. For example, the prevalence of, of, of wallets in Indonesia and Philippines versus the prevalence of um, government run rails in Singapore and India. And so I think it's always uh, something very new to, to learn about. Um, you really can't take, you really have to work from first principles about what would happen next in all these countries. And so that's, uh, that's what keeps me up at night.
1: Great, well, let me jump over to Clementina as well and introduce her.
2: Hello everyone.
1: Can you introduce yourself and also tell us why are you attracted to fintech? I mean, you could be doing so many things in Colombia, so why fintech? Uh,
2: Thank you for inviting me to be part of this discussion. I am Clementina Giraldo and I live in Medellín, Colombia. I have been involved in entrepreneurial ecosystem for almost 20 years uh, in different roles, working with um, multilateral institutions like IDB, Inter-American Development Bank, and also CAF, Development Bank for Latin America. Also, I have been working with governments and with the private sector and startups. I have also served as a specialist in blockchain at the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution with, um, in Colombia affiliated with the World Economic Forum. Uh, and I am the founder and CEO of That's and Tech. Um, Then I have been almost uh, 20 years in, in these areas. And since 2015, I found that the fintech industry um, has a variety of innovation that could really improve the financial services um, for everyone in terms of user experience uh, time cost and also latin america is a region where there are a lot of people without financial services and fintech could accelerate the financial inclusion for this reason i have been working around different programs in the regions uh, since 2015, specifically in fintech.
1: Great. Well, thank you. Welcome here. And uh, so let me go back to, uh, to Chia, because I wanted to know foundations of your skill set in a way, right? You, you do other things, just uh, sit in the office and uh, work in the VC firm. You're a business angel yourself. I know you're a scout for AWS as well. But you, as people say in England, you trained as a lawyer, right? In Cambridge. So, how does that all fit together? What's the logic there?
0: No, no clean logic, uh, to be honest. Um, um, it is a very different world from from being uh, on the legal side to being on the venture capital and 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 being a startup operator building companies. But I think fundamentally, for me, I, I, I was always interested in trying to understand in a very deep way how businesses worked and how you really grow a company from zero to a hundred and so that's always been a, a a passion of mine um kind of um throughout this whole period of my life and so that's something that I, I became kind of more and more involved in love to be able to dig deeper and so moved from that progression of you know building a, a particular company in a particular industry to really being in a in a lucky position to to understand how the different businesses and different business models across the world um really work in terms of kind of um other things i i, I have also been a little bit lucky I'm a, I'm a big fan of of emerging markets and and as a result of uh, some of my background in rocket internet building e-commerce companies have had the privilege to kind of work with a lot of marketplace and e-commerce founders in emerging markets, helping them out in my, in my own personal capacity. Um, right before this call, um, uh, had to, to work on a term sheet, um, that, uh, that, that one of my portfolio companies in Egypt, um, had, had just received and, and, and go through all the legal documents with them, um, go through all the port reserve matters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that was, that's, uh, you know, it's a, it's always interesting being able to to marry your interests and and your and and the time I spent uh, training to be a lawyer and, and being able to help least stage companies and think that's 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 uh, part of the fun of it.
1: It's all right. And um, so coming back to Clementina, you said that you're founder of Dots and Tech, right? So what's the goal of your company, and also how is that related to your other activities? Because you also founded the big community, um, you know, f- fintech Latino Americana. So how does that all fit together with your uh, business activities and how do you help startups in, in your ecosystem?
2: That SunTech provides service that include consulting, coding and supporting uh, the development of the FinTech ecosystem. So we are connecting the dots in the FinTech industry by developing effective strategy, business strategies for corporations, investors and startups. We support tech companies in Latam by developing uh, new relationships, uh, acquiring new clients and reaching new markets. That's the role that we have in the in the ecosystem.
1: Right, but in terms of the not just the firm, but also the community? May if you tell us Ah, something.
2: yes, of yeah. course, yes, yes. So, um, in, I founded a fintech community in 2016, almost five years, uh, with the purpose of sharing opportunities and challenges of the fintech industry and the blockchain technology in the region so the group helps uh, to connect investors founders and people interested in fintech also i promote different kind of activities for example the digital world trip fintech program will which will take place in next april uh, where participants can access um, different panels also interviews and relevant content on demand about 90 days around the key trends in the industry and we promote different activities around the fintech industry it was only an example right right webinars all around around uh, promote the community and some of the startups Um, uh, have, I don't know, like they can get or get to know some investors or something that helps to grow, to scale.
1: Great. I know it's a very big community. We'll get to this a bit more. So uh, you know how big it is actually, uh, especially if you come from Switzerland, you know. So welcome David from New York. You know, why have you chosen this startup slash entrepreneur or scale up uh, route rather than a big corporate? Yeah, Rudy, thanks so much for for having me on the panel with everyone as well. And
3: I'm very passionate about the fintech industry. Uh, I actually got started over 10 years ago in actuarial science, working for Aflac, uh, understanding how to do predictive modeling for finance, and actually started in the big corporate route. I worked for Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, ADP, and Aflac for running data modeling for financial services. And I was looking to have a greater impact as technology was becoming a digital-first society. So um, I moved from Florida to New York City over six years ago, got involved in the startup and scale-up industry, uh, both as a digital leader to raise capital for companies, as well as accelerate the digital innovation primarily around financial portfolios. So uh, I helped launch um, a three-on-three uh, sports league. I launched a media tech company. Uh, and then I got directly involved with financial companies like Bloomberg, Refinitiv, uh, Charles Schwab, Investco, USAA on training and building their software engineers and data scientists around financial and data literacy. Beyond that, I, uh, prior to the pandemic, traveled the world very regularly doing cross-border innovation around financial startups. In uh, Israel, in Korea, uh, in Singapore, and, and other global markets, uh, and particularly um, today, I actively advise different FinTech startups that are working on raising their Series Seed and Series A rounds. I think FinTech is the unifier of all startups around the world because uh,
1: currency and technology move uh, together. Great. Well, thanks for the introduction. Uh, we have Angela on as well. Can you hear us?
4: Sure, can. How are you, yeah. really?
1: Hi. So. Angela is a fantastic host and entrepreneur based in Singapore. We'll get more to this, but my first question is, well, you're an Australian among, you know, obviously the other nationalities that you have. And as I said, now you're summering in New Zealand, which some of us would uh, envy you. So that's a nice (laughs) lifestyle for a founder. And uh, But I wanted to know, you know, what led you to Singapore? Now Singapore is trying to or is it's getting more and more established as the fintech nation, right? So, mm-hmm. where, you know, how did you see it uh, before you you were in Singapore, and um, how do you see it now that you're there?
4: Sure. So I originally came to Singapore because I worked in the oil and gas industry for most of my career, and it was a good hub that in Vancouver. And coming from London, I decided that I couldn't do winter anymore. So the greener pastures of Singapore were sort of cooling uh, with the weather. But since arriving there, I think Singapore punches above its weight in so many factors in terms of um, the leadership of the global community, in terms of the fintech, but also the regional community as well. Um, so I think from from us, it's a no-brainer to start a business there. Really, it's a really supportive community and a really um, supportive ecosystem.
1: Right, and you're a CEO and the co-founder of Notarum, right? Which is a tech company. Uh, we we can get to this. You know, what are your solutions or what are the problems that you've seen? But it is tough to be a startup founder, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, regtech doesn't really strike me as the easiest field, right? So why <laughs> why you want to do regtech?
4: Yeah, why absolutely. So. I think I I um I started the company because I had I had the very specific pain point in my previous role in the corporate world, and I couldn't believe that the way this is the way the global community was solving this problem, and so I figured technology was a much better solution, and so I kind of saw the writing on the wall as well, knowing that I think the global community is going to solve this problem through technology, and I'm going to be out of a job, so I may as well be the one to start the you know the company, so that was kind of my my moment.
1: Right, so. You know, you're based in Singapore normally, right, uh, as Chia is. So I, want, I wanted to jump over to him again and because I know, Chia, that you're looking at the opportunities in Southeast Asia outside of Singapore a lot, right? So how would you describe the scene, let's say, in Indonesia and other countries outside of Singapore, so Singapore itself?
0: Yeah, no, I think a uh, great question. Yeah, so, so I, I do cover quite a few geographies. I, I cover Southeast Asia, I cover India. And also I look after our US uh, uh, LP, fintech LP investments. And, and so I think it's, it's always really fascinating looking at the different markets between Southeast Asia. Uh, within Southeast Asia, right, you have a very small market in, in Singapore of, you know, really 6 million people. Um, average uh, GDP per capita is about... Sixty, I want to say fifty-five thousand US. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a fairly developed but very small market compared to some uh, a country like Indonesia, for example. You know, with with uh, close to three hundred million people, um, and a different kind of income profile. And so the and it's very different dynamics. I think in, in Singapore, um, you have um, you know a consumer facing. Uh, you have a very high level of sophistication in terms of consumer products, in terms of uh, enterprise products with a lot of the, the MNCs really headquartered in Singapore. Whereas in, 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 in a country like Indonesia, they're still really building out some of the basic rails um, out there. Um, and, 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 and with the only recent establishment of, of, of kind of dominance of, of wallet players you, 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 and, and payment rails, you're really now starting to see bunch of very interesting uh 2.0 fintechs really come out and and take advantage of of all of that so it's it's very different stage of development very different types of of opportunities in in each market Um, i would say at the moment there's a lot of really interesting um b2b opportunities happening in in the indonesian um space you're seeing your first wave of um, fintech B2B infrastructure plays really start to, to emerge in Indonesia right now when you know, two or two, three years ago that, that wouldn't be, have been really possible or feasible because they're still solving basic problems around um, you know merchant payment and acceptance, um, e-money movement, blah, blah, blah. So really, really exciting, I think, things are going on in, in Indonesia in terms of what this first wave of B2B digitalization and the fintech scene looks like and, and the second wave of B2C um, whereas in Singapore, I think it's more, a lot of it has to do with more kind of back end, um, large enterprise um, processes. And that tends to be what the, the opportunity really looks like. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really happy to dive into all of that. And that's, that's on a high level what we've been looking at.
1: All right. Understood. Uh, well, I mean, let's follow up on this because you mentioned different countries, you know, they are at the different stage of development, but what are the hottest? The industry verticals within fintech. Um, is this now uh, going to be B2B fintech, tech as well in Indonesia and other countries outside of Singapore, or, or, or are there other more specific, you know, verticals that uh, you know you would like to recommend if you were any, for if there are investors among us?
0: Yeah, for sure. I think I think there there are three main themes that that really excite me at the moment. I think the first is really around b2b cross-border i think is is one of that um second order uh digitization um the first order being a lot of these merchants have have recently digitized recently gotten gotten used to to digital methods of 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 payments of of operating um, of selling etc and so um now a lot now we're moving more into the back end and trying to understand some of these back-end processes for for SMEs in Indonesia and Singapore, and seeing how that cross-border flow can can be better digitized, be it you know escrow payments, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, I think another thing that 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 is pretty exciting at the moment is given the you know success of, of Afterpay and a lot of BNPLs. I think BNPL is heated up uh, pretty much everywhere, um, and, and Singapore and Indonesia is is no exception. Um, I think in the past three months I've read more about the BNPL scene in Singapore than I have anywhere uh, than I have any other time in my life and so I think that's that's also a really interesting space to play I think the last thing that I think is really interesting is that again I think I mentioned this before but the the first wave of infrastructure plays are really setting up shop um, so you've got your plate your maquetas of 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 Indonesia of Southeast Asia really popping up and trying to, to do a bunch of things. You've got your first wave of neobanks being set up with digital licenses being granted in you know, Singapore. Um, in Philippines, just a week ago, they finally released uh, the, the regulatory scheme for the new digital licenses, uh, banking licenses that they're going to issue. And so I think we're also going to see that wave of neobanks really uh, start to, to heat up in Southeast Asia. Um, and, and those are some of the areas that I think are, are pretty exciting to look at at the moment.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. So let me jump over again to David, because uh, you have some experience with podcasting, right? Uh, you're a host of Humane Podcast. So I wanted to know, and, and that's also for the benefit of everyone else, what is the objective of your podcast, right? And what were your favorite um, episodes or experiences you know, from doing it?
3: Uh, I love uh, communicating with founders, uh, startup executives uh, all over the place and much to what we're talking about here today. Uh, I've had this humane podcast focused around uh, AI, data science and developer tools for now over two years. We've had uh, going on over 100 episodes. With different startups raising their Series A, Series B, and, and beyond, and, and even exiting. And um, what I love is conversations about how technology is integrating with humans. It's so important. Uh, recently, this week, I also released an episode with Felipe uh, Langer, who is the CTO of Play Magnus, the app that Magnus Carlsen
1: uh, became a world chess player with uh, using AI. So oh, I wow. really love Oh, wow. So, I mean, did you, did you watch the show on the Netflix, you know, about the Queen's Gambit, right? Huge fan of Queen's Gambit. We
3: recorded the episode prior to Queen's Gambit. We were talking more about, you know, how do you train? How can you train with AI, become uh, even better uh, as an athlete, taking that mental fortitude forward? Uh, Queen's Gambit is a great show. If anyone uh, has not seen you know, Netflix yet, of course, there's all the drama and entertainment of great Netflix flicks. Uh, but it definitely brought back the nostalgia of when I played at our our secondary school chess club. Uh, playing blitz chess was always a fun.
1: Right, and uh, you know a lot of the that drove a lot of users to chess.com. I've heard, and so now I'm getting these emails. You can actually play against the Beth Harmon on chess.com. Um, That's
3: right. So chess.com
1: has been around for, of course, uh, many years as the online chess
3: tournament website. But partnered with the five. And beyond that, they have different computers, different AIs you can play with. So based on all of best games, a an AI of her different age groups have been trained. So when you join chess.com for free, you can play her when she was eight years old, twelve years old, fifteen, seventeen, and a
1: grandmaster, which is so exciting for all those chess loyalists. So Clementina coming back to you because we started talking about that you are active in the community in fintech in Colombia or in LATAM, right? And uh, mm-hmm. we discussed that. What does that mean, Iberoamericana, right? Which is LATAM and Spain. And uh, there was a list uh, recently came out who lists the top Colombians in terms of fintech influence or being active as a fintech influencers in Iberoamericana, so Spain and LATAM. So you are in top 10 influencers there. So how, does, do you, how do you do it? I mean, building on what you just said before about the community, the startup work, uh, and uh, you know, how, how, what are the goals in, the, in your activities uh, all together? Let's maybe take it even high, more high level.
2: Yes, um, I have been working with different programs like a mentor for startups, and um, I was living in Argentina for seven years and they have um, um, Argentina is a half for blockchain technology. So I was involved in, in they have, uh, for example, the La LaBitConf, which is an event specific for blockchain. And I have been working with um, before with uh, CAF, which is a development bank. And um, they invest in some venture capital funds. Some of them uh, are invested in fintech industry in Latin America. And also, I work um, this year and last year with IDB, Inter-American Development Bank, um, um, helping them and the central bank from Honduras to create an innovation round table around fintech um, um, connecting the startups with the government to understand the like yeah, the government wanted to understand that uh, industry so I was helping uh, helping them to identify uh, or like how many startups they have in Honduras Honduras is in Central America. So, and this year I have been working with seven countries in Central America with IDB. So, I have been working with governments, with the multilaterals, with the startups, with my company. Uh, I I am teacher, but I am professor in in an Argentine uh, university in a fintech program. Uh, all all my all, all, all the day and every day I am working with fintech. That's the reason that maybe they consider me in that uh, list.
1: You know, we have first question from audience, so I think that maybe probably the most uh, targeted at uh, Chia or David. But uh, so I'll just read it out. It's basically uh, one of the participants here asking about which of the fintech industry verticals would most benefit from. Reduce latency. In other words, similarly as you know, you have high-frequency traders in uh, in tra- traditional trading. So I'll have you to think about it, Chia and David. And in the meantime, I would ask uh, Angela about uh, about corporate diligence and uh, the solution that uh, her company came up with. Because having spent some time in M&A, let's say, I spent uh, you know a lot of time doing due diligence and often it is uh, an exercise of one's stamina. So how do you make it a little bit easier on people in a se- while not not losing the quality, right? Or because it's important, obviously. It's, it's crucial to allocate risk between the parties. You cannot miss stuff and things like this. So I think people were always hesitant to uh, give it to some early stage technology where there would be a gap and then you cannot tell your boss, well, I missed it because some algorithm didn't pick it up in the data room and things like this. So where are we today with these automated solutions so that the m and bankers can do something um, maybe more value added, which is uh, arguably uh, yeah, negotiating?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think from our point of view, we did a huge amount of customer validation before we designed the platform and really started to build anything. And in that, we realized the two biggest problems were the fragmentation of the industry. So when you do have a piece of data, you have to plug that into many different databases throughout you know the whole process to get to the end. So it is really an exercise in stamina, as you said. And the other one was that you're relying on the data from the customer. So basically, you're asking the person you're checking to be honest. And as we know, with you know with um, people that are dishonest, that's generally they won't kind of just change because you've asked them a question. So what we do is we connect with company registries in 150 different countries globally, meaning that we have a solution that serves the global ecosystem as well because. The other problem was that companies um, would have to go to each individual company registry globally to try and access the information. So, it's through bringing all of those databases, and around about three hundred under one umbrella, and putting a workflow on top that's intuitive and has some AI in the back. Uh, that's what we've done to really help solve this problem.
1: All right, you know, something to to check out once you're in that situation in a dark room, or you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, see if you can do it better. So, I don't know, Chia, David, if you're volunteers for that question on uh, latency.
0: It's an interesting question. I'd be curious in context. I think the two that immediately come to mind would be any delays on payment processing, especially on the, on the consumer side, results in card abandonment, right? So, so better performance um, on checkout and, and payments, especially around e-com. I think that's always super, super useful uh interestingly spend the past couple of months looking deeply into uh, the kind of one click checkout uh, model i think the second one that immediately comes to mind is anything to do with um um brokerages um online i think obviously kind of that that's always a, a an obvious space um where latency produces um quite quite good rri i'll, I'll pause there um and hope that answers the question
1: okay all
3: right. So I think it's such a good question about latency because it's really a technology problem. Um, and what I spend a lot of my daytime on every day now is actually around latency. Uh, as of a couple of months ago, uh, I joined formerly MemSQL, which is single store. We just raised uh, this week our $80 million series E round of equity. Uh, and what we do is we're a distributed SQL company. Uh, we work with some of the top banks in the United States uh, the top tech companies like Uber, General Electric, uh, and helping them understand uh, Sirius XM around streaming, around movement of people and data, how to get near real time for real time transactions and analytics. So, I think if you're coming from a fund in the FinTech space, it's very much all about the ETL process and particularly where is that latency occurring? Is it when you're extracting or loading data? Is it when you're performing your transforms and analytics uh, with SQL queries and how you can make those pipelines be more robust? I think the solution definitely is something around multi-cloud strategy. Uh, I think everyone's moving towards multi-cloud, whether you're using uh, GCP, Azure, AWS, Alibaba Cloud, Huawei Cloud, or many of these other options. Uh, We're moving to a uh, one metal but all services tech stack. Uh so I'd encourage you for your, for your organization as you're thinking about latency, what are you solving for? Are you solving for hours for your SLA? Are you solving for seconds, nanoseconds, uh picoseconds? Uh and and how large scale is that data? Um, one of our customers we're working with a few weeks ago, uh, for one of their queries they use a hundred petabytes of data. So for them latency matters, right? And and their SLA is um zero, right? Like you need a hundred percent upkeep all the time. So depending on what you're doing, start with the SLA and you can work backwards
1: from there on the technology. Right. And uh, to, I wanted to follow up though on what you just said that you joined a new company for you that is, you know, single store, right? So you came from data science and AI and now you're education specialist, right? So what does that mean? You're educating whom? The external clients or your sales force at single store? Uh, how does that go, you know, fit together? Yeah, so my role here is particularly under client technical services. So I'm involved with
3: delivery, that's everything from pre-sales and post-sales, uh, really with a client experience. Um, I'm also taking that knowledge and transforming that internally in the organization with internal enablement, uh, sales enablement, and partnership enablement. So it's really exciting. And I think uh, for any startup as they're scaling, a the startup to scale up, it's important that you're cross-pollinating ideas all across the organization. And that's where I'm coming in as this digital leader to ensure as we go from 200 people to 1,200 people that we're able to maintain that culture and the unity of our technology and
1: information all right uh hopefully that is a bit clearer than it was before right <laughs> because you know it's when you think education in some places people think in shortcuts and they think about school right and that's not necessarily always the case there's also corporate education at ed tech and you can marry it with uh with data science and ai just like you do on business development so that's great now that, I think, would be a good segue, again, to jump over to Angela, because she's been listed on uh, on the list of top 100 women in uh, Singapore. For in the What I'd like to know is, I know you said when you got on the list that this is a small but might group of uh, women, but uh, <laughs> what can we do to make it bigger? Now, let's think about going back even early on in terms of education and encouraging people to go to stem you know maybe it is watching uh, queen's gambit i don't know but uh, <laughs> you know whatever uh, we can do so that we actually um, don't have such a list to be honest uh, maybe sh- you know it shouldn't be an, uh, anything exceptional right it should be absolutely normal
4: yeah absolutely right and i think it definitely goes back to STEM to get more women to, into the industry as well. But I don't have a STEM background, so I think it. I think a lot of it is the, the industry being more welcoming. But it's also, you know, we as females need to take responsibility as well and have, you know, courage to give it a go as well. And I think that's something that we both need to kind of attack it from both sides. Uh, what I really like about the ecosystem, particularly in Singapore, is that it is very welcoming for for everyone, pretty much. One other thing that I think is really important for um, for women, in everyone in general, though, is that a lot of people decide to help women through mentorship and through kind of, you know, just going through and reviewing something. But very few people actually roll up their sleeves. So it's that difference between the hour, I call it hour one, which was sitting with someone and having a conversation, and hour two, which is where you actually help and actually add value by s- s- addressing their their questions specifically because I think a lot of the time when we're allocated you know mentors through these mentoringship programs it's it's great and people are you know very willing to kind of provide their advice but not as many people are willing to go that second hour and roll up their sleeves and really get into the nitty-gritty of you and your organization and how they can impact you specifically so I think if you know to any mentors out there that's definitely where the value add comes in is in that second hour.
1: Right. So from your position as a founder as well, just building on what David said, you know, him working with sales and pre-sale and, and, you know, those sort of fields of, I guess, a larger company at this point. But how do you do it in terms of B2B sales? And uh, that's also, you know, I'd like to maybe nudge you to comment on what Chia said about B2B uh, getting more and more prevalent in the region in Southeast Asia. So what's your advice about B2B sales? If I'm a fintech, I'm very early stage, and I'd like to sell my regtech solution like yourself to the big banks in Singapore or professional services firms, maybe let's explain also who are your key clients. Uh, What are the key pieces of advice you can give so that um, this can be done more quickly, especially, right? (laughs) And obviously more, more successfully, right?
4: Yeah, it certainly is an exercise in stamina. I think that's a, a second example of that tonight. So just say, yeah, so we, I think we, as, as an organization, anything you can provide to large corporates to help them uh, shepherd the process through their organization as well is really useful. So any sort of tools or any advice on our value add really helps because we're not just pitching to one person when we go in to do a sales pitch, we're pitching to one person to then take our our company all the way up the value chain of their organization. So I think that's really important. And the second piece of advice is don't underestimate how complex the existing infrastructure is at these organizations. So I think there's anything you can do with your your platform to make it integration-friendly is a really useful thing for large organizations, particularly in the financial services sector.
1: All right, taken on board. Um, if you want to do a B2B, it looks like the Chia is saying this is the way to go. You know, you will have less, less competition. You know, people haven't done it until now, so much in 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 uh, in southeast asia Chiaps I noticed recently that um, you've asked for feedback i think on your writing on medium right so that's another of your hobbies so why such a productive hobby you know sometimes people work hard they want to play hard and it looks like you are working hard all the time right
0: uh, thanks a lot really yeah no I, I've always liked writing i think maybe it's the the the, the ex-law law person in me speaking um but I think a lot of tech, a lot of venture capital is quite opaque and I I, I don't think that necessarily needs to be the case. So I like to be able to expose a little bit about how I think um, about the different business models, about different industries, about how venture capital works and put that out there. And I think I, what I found is that number one, it's really helped me structure the way I think about certain arguments, about certain business models. And sometimes I catch myself making assumptions that I shouldn't I shouldn't be in the course of you know, writing these articles about different models like embedded finance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think the second additional advantage has has been it's it's also been great to connect with other founders and and, and investors uh, who who read some of this writing and and reach out and, and we have a great chat about about different you know, their their opinions and their feedback and 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 where they may or may not disagree and i think that's that's also been a great way to really quickly openly build and refine on the way that you think about different business models um especially when it's more innovative and and, and the answer is less clear and so it's uh yeah it's definitely a, definitely a painful hobby um for sure. <laughs> but it's 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 been a great um i think way to learn um, and, and get feedback really quickly, especially given, you know, how, how difficult and long feedback loops in, in venture capital is.
1: Right. You know, I just discovered like a year ago, right? or More than a year and a half ago. I like it because it makes it easy to, to write. Uh, but I think the most important thing is the content and the feedback, as you mentioned. So check out Gia on Medium if you, uh, if you subscribe to Medium. So I would turn back again, you know, I'm doing a back and forth on purpose. So you can see that actually there's one thing in common here in fintech is that generally you come out from a small country, small business, it's a niche thing you need to scale up. And for this, you Mm -hmm. need to go international. So that's why on purpose, I'm jumping from one region to another. So you can see that the issues or the advice could be useful either way or similar. But um, I wanted to check with Clementina as well not necessarily by industry verticals, but which are the hottest countries in LATAM that you think that uh, we should follow in terms of fintech? Is this Argentina or is this Colombia or Chile or Mexico? The obvious choices, you know, the big countries, or is there somebody that, you know, Uruguay is the, is the has more founders per, per capita than anybody else? I don't know.
2: Latin America is a region over 2,000, uh, 2000- companies, fintech companies in different stages of development. And Brazil, Mexico, um, Argentina, and Colombia leads the industry. Brazil has 70 and fifty hundred startups in fintech. Mexico, over 500 startups in fintech. Uh, Argentina, 280. Startups in FinTech and Colombia, 250. In terms on unicorns, the, uh, uh, is li- Brazil is leading the, the industry. They have um, new bank, uh, f- it's from Brazil, uh, but it's important to say that uh, the founder is, uh, is Colombian, it's from Colombia. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, David Vélez is from Colombia and we have like important players in from those countries so we have for example uh, we have uh, mercado libre uh, is from argentina and has been creating like a complete ecosystem so depends on the if we are talking about numbers of startups we have some leaders if we are talking about unicorns then uh, Brazil and Argentina, and uh, if we are talking about blockchain, technology is, def- is definitely is Argentina the hub. And Colombia has a very, very uh, uh, good player in the ecosystem. For example, Rappi is from Colombia and is leading the, uh, the industry in the region also.
1: Right. I mean, obviously, From Europe, you hear about the unicorns, but you're right, it's about the different metrics as well. I think in Zurich, all together we have about 500 startups, in Lausanne about 300, but that's not just fintech, it's anything and everything, right? So you see the the power of the scale and scaling up. Uh, Here, I think if you ever want to be a unicorn, there's no other way than plan for going abroad as soon as possible. Maybe as we're coming to an end, uh, I'll turn back again to David uh, on giving advice to startups and things like this, because in addition to your work, I know you're also an advisor to startups, right? So what have you seen that you can share that you think others can replicate so so they get better? whatever that means, better serve customers or growing more quickly, getting a, a bigger valuation and retire in Florida, or I don't know what. But uh, depends how you want to define it. But in any case, what is your key advice you, you could give from working with startups?
3: If you're an early stage startup that's still building product market fit, biggest advice I give is let's build that product market fit. And that means as a startup building Technology, building products. Uh, if you're after valuation, you go after SaaS. It's hands down, you're just gonna raise your multiple. But if you're after building the product that you're passionate for for your industry, you wanna get that product market fit. iterate very quickly, iterate a lot, test a lot with your customers and keep building out those features to see the results. It's not just the product though, you could have a world-class Silicon Valley product and never get the exit. It is so much about the persistence of your team, the discipline, the culture. I mean, Brian, the founder of Airbnb, says it's all the best, right? And they're going public now uh, this week, actually, I believe today. Uh, he says, don't mess up the culture. Uh, that's the Disney PG version of it, right? You have to start with culture and then build the product. Uh, some of the best companies I am advising and I work for, the product is not necessarily 10x better than the competition, but the execution is. So I'd encourage you as a team to make sure your team is tight-knit,
1: you're constantly evolving that product, and speaking to your customers so that you can uh, grow your business good point let's focus on the solution on the customers right step by step uh what matters most and uh otherwise you know you will never get there but i got the comment from the audience about a seven-year-old uh, uh in the background was asking why we are also concerned with the unicorn so i, I had to really show you the my unicorn tears mug which uh, i don't use because i don't really have unicorn tears when I was somewhere at the at some event you know and you had a good uh, answer to questions, you know you would get also the uh, the unicorn as a, as a gift. With that, I mean I, I'd love to thank everyone for the questions, but we can stay on and uh, network in a less formal way. So I, I maybe last challenge or last uh, call for the questions. If you have it, you can put it in the chat or just tell us. Uh, I will promise I will unmute you. Um, If you have any questions for Angela, Clementina, Chia or David, Tanya, unfortunately, from India couldn't make it uh, today, but she sends her regards and uh, there will be a new episode next week from India, uh, which is great. Um, And, uh, you know, next time we'll we'll talk as well. One other thing I wanted to say is that... um, we'll add more hosts in the regions and the obvious region that is missing is africa so stay tuned for this uh, there'll be hosts based in africa uh, they're locals they know what's going on and i'm sure we can also uh, think about different sort of problems or issues or solutions and ideas that come from there as well so you will hear about that next week as uh, also clementina
2: <laughs> yes i only wanted to- To say you some some detail a little details about um, these unicorns unicorns yes because uh, to give you an idea Mercado Libre is leading the e-commerce in the region reaching 76 million users so um, is uh, 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 Mercado Libre, um, of uh, 17, 17 million are new uh, of the third quarter. So, uh, with COVID-19, uh, the growth has been amazing, and is, is 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 really a leader in the region. So, uh, they have an ecosystem. They have Mercado Crédito for loans, Mercado Pago for the payment. Um, and they have Mercado Envios for logistics. So they have the complete ecosystem. And also, for example, Nubank, Nubank is from Brazil, but um, they uh, expanded to Mexico this year and they announced recently um, its entrance to Colombia. Uh, with the expectation to reach 30, 30 million users by, by the end of this year. So um, Rapi from Colombia uh, has been the ally for the small and medium enterprises during uh, the quarantine, um, helping uh, to maintain their, their business activity, activity and launching is new credit card for consumers so they are moving in other verticals in Latin America we are seeing that uh, at the beginning the fintech was were in a in 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 only a vertical but now some of them are moving to other verticals like complete uh, yes uh, with the, the uh, services and products. And the last one is a very interesting case is Bitso. Bitso from Mexico is a cryptocurrency trading platform expanded to Argentina this year, reaching over 4 million users uh, in, Lata- in Latin America. Talking about cryptocurrency and 4 million users is really huge for us and is leading uh, rem- remittances from Mex- between Mexico and the US. So it's, it's a very important company for, for Mexican and now in Argentina and re- raising recently $62 million for scaling the cryptocurrency adoption in the region. So it's a, it's a very important player. And we are expecting that in 2021 we will see more cryptocurrency in latin america so uh, i wanted to say you that to give you the the details about the unicorns
1: right so i've heard that at the conference which is uh, landed latam going on this week as well that uh, covid loves e-commerce so uh, it helped a lot in terms of adoption of e-commerce and also the digital uh, digital transformation or contactless payments and even using accounts and debit cards in the region, right, uh, in Mexico and in other countries. But one of the founders there was saying, well, we should also look into Europe and look at how the open banking has been uh, has been pushed by either the governments or the ecosystem. Uh, And that's to your question that we've got now from the audience. How can a fintech build a solution using open banking for processing payments from the legal perspective in LATAM? So I don't know whether there is a platform, there is a framework in LATAM already to kind of push the open banking. In other words, if I'm a fintech or I'm a client and I want my data from some big bank in Colombia or Mexico to be transferred to a fintech, are they obligated to do it?
2: We are on the way of open banking in the region. But each country is a different level of... You can find some closed ecosystem, another open bank, uh, like going to open banking.
1: In Europe also, the open banking, it was left to implementation by member countries of the EU differently. So people did it differently. In Switzerland also, we we are taking a bit longer to do it because it wasn't a government-led, but it was more community consensus-led effort. So that's uh, to another question that we've got. Uh, Any final words? I think, you know, maybe let's go to Angela because I really would like to appreciate that you stay up so late. I know it's uh, <laughs> it's tough to find the time that works for everyone. Um, but you no you're the furthest from, a, from uh, Clementina, I guess. Now,
4: yeah, I have a quick question for Chair, I guess, and I, just back on the um, the back on the unicorns. I think um, from our perspective, everyone is, it, when you're building a startup, it's all about trying to build a unicorn. But I was wondering if you're seeing any change from the venture capital society where they're looking less at unicorns and maybe at faster exits at lower valuation. Is there, has there been any change? Um, we're sort of hearing a few things on around the, the place that that's what venture capital firms are more interested in, given they've seen how quickly the world can change. Is that something you're seeing or is that just a... Uh...
0: I'd be I'd be very curious. I'm, I'm, I suspect it's a very specific profile of people that, that might be saying that. The short answer is no. Capital. They're so still chasing been... unicorns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, capital has never been cheaper. Um, valuations yeah. have very much returned. Um, and actually, yeah. in, in a lot of measures, higher than what it was uh, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So um, from my perspective, the world is still the same, just more expensive.
4: Yeah. <laughs> what a rocky road it's been for the last 12 months, eh? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm happy to dive deeper into that point. I, I do have a suspicion on the type of people that might say be saying that.
4: Yeah, I think it was um I'd be keen to hear your suspicions but it was sort of micro funds so I think they were looking at shorter fund lengths. Is that
0: yeah, yeah, what you yeah. yeah, so I mean what's happening is there's there's uh, we, we we are very bullish on micro funds. We've been ex- investing and looking into the space because we are also LPs. Um the number of micro funds that ha- especially in fintech that have been set up across uh, throughout 2020 um, has suddenly exploded and I think one common misconception a lot of first-time GPs have when they're setting up micro funds is, oh, I need to show um, DPI, right, which is realized returns, um, which is not actually necessarily true. Um, Mm. But uh, I I do hear that a lot from my first-time micro funds.
4: Really interesting
1: okay Thanks, um, we have another question as investors which vertical which vertical do you see within fintechs do you see the most interesting i think we kind of talked about it already um it depends on the region and depends on the country as well but uh, yeah so chia maybe if you have any hottest vertical you want to talk about think about it uh, in the meantime i'll ask david about his podcast once again because it's called humane it's about ai a lot of the times people, when they think of AI in the popular culture, they are a bit afraid that uh, this will take away their jobs and things like this. I mean, what is your view on this automation versus, you know, what will humans do? We'll, we'll be end up uh, just watching Netflix, but uh, who's going to pay for it? That's another, that's another problem, right?
3: Yeah, a lot of what we've seen, especially during the pandemic, has been that technology has not slowed down. We've used technology more than ever before whether it's the cloud, whether it's streaming platforms, or using any software that's using data augmentation. And that's the biggest theme that I talk about on the Humane podcast is that humans and machines can and will work together. We're not having AI replace humans, but we're thinking about a lot of the manual repetitive tasks uh, that mm. happen that can we automate that. And for us as financial professionals who work with spreadsheets and the macros automation has been part of our everyday language for years it's now taking that to be more standardized and reproducible so that when it comes to code you can up your game and build more powerful projects Uh, so i think that's what we're really seeing happening and i think the next decade at least in the ai space will not be eliminating humans. We saw, of course, yesterday SpaceX's S-89, that uh, rocket had a very good chance to get up in the air, but of course exploded when it hit the Earth in, in the Houston, Texas area, So um, in the Boca area. So I think we have a long way to go there. I think it's really about collaboration
1: brilliant so that's a great message you know before before we wrap up and uh, before the end of this year which has been a quite a disaster right so a lot of people saying that we can't wait to be in 2021 i hope that uh, will be a better year but uh, frankly i'm not really betting on it but uh, maybe i'm being too pessimistic <laughs> angela answered in the meantime what's the hottest uh, vertic- vertical it's obviously rectag she do you have <laughs> you know do you have anything else do you have any other se- uh, sector other than, you know, a bit more specific than B2B fintech?
0: Uh, I've been I've been pretty interested in, in what I like to call the last mile distribution of B2B payments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you embed B2B payment solutions into existing workflow software, um, um, HR accounting, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And so that's that's been a, a pet topic of mine um, that I'm really keen on.
1: Okay, cool. And uh, Clementina, what would be... Your biggest hope in fintech in Latin, what would you like to see next year uh, happening? Whether that's more unicorns or whether that's.
2: <laughs> yes, <happening>. I, I <laughs> think know, so because.
1: The real one. You
2: know, SoftBank, Softbank um, moved the region. SoftBank has uh, been investing in, 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 in RAPI, in Confio from Mexico. Mexico is a very interested ecosystem uh, because they have some players growing. Click for for is the payment vertical. It's an interesting company. Also, Confio, uh, Crece. There are some companies in the digital credit for a small and medium enterprise growing a lot. Simply Finactiva from Colombia. We are. Um, and also some providers like for b2b uh, like uh, c- cybersecurity c- cyber uh, for example vu security from argentina is an interesting company so we are uh, latin america is like panding is growing uh, there is a lot of movement around the, the industry so we we will see new players getting an important space in the world i think so
1: brilliant so you just did an episode with creze from mexico right and uh, before it was with uh, with the leaders from argentina and colombia so there's more to come so check it out as i said the india is coming next but there will be more from latam there will be more from apac in the next year as well in the us so thank you very much all for joining Stay tuned, you know, for the other announcements. There will be, as I said, the Africa's coming up and uh, we'll do more episodes for you. And uh, lastly, the objective of this session was so that you see that Angela, Clementina, Chia, David, you know, they are in the regions. They are experts in their, you know, in their domain areas. So if you'd like to know more, I'm sure they'll be happy to connect with you. So find them on LinkedIn or Twitter, see what they're up to. And, uh, you know, listen to their podcasts or if they do other ones as well. But uh, only after you've downloaded everything from Voice of Fintech, obviously. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much all for joining and uh, we'll, be, we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks
3: thank you really you very much. much.
1: Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com